0: this is true crime exposed and i'm your host kayla waters each week join me to discuss a new case alongside my co-host alicia jenkins we bring you this show to expose the monsters lurking all around us Hey everyone, I'm glad you're back for part two. This is the second part of the 12 victims of Fred and Rose West, serial killer couple. So if you haven't listened to part one, you'll be extremely confused. And this one's a little bit long today, so let's jump right into it. Are you ready for today's case? First, before I was going to ask if you have watched that Casey Anthony documentary at all,
1: no, is it anyone?
0: Yeah, where she talks and it's called Where the Truth Lies. No. And it's Casey Anthony herself talking. Well, like I was already annoyed that she had a show. It's on Peacock and people have been pissed that she like was even given a platform. I haven't watched it, but I've seen online now a bunch. I was already annoyed, but now I'm like pissed because all these people are actually like taking her side. And believing that she was really, like, abused by her dad and that it's his fault.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's
0: I'm like, you're not really watching this and believing Casey Anthony, are you? <laughs> I cannot. Which, again, I haven't watched it. I just, like, know she's a liar and a manipulator.
1: The last thing I saw about her is she was living in Florida.
0: Yeah. I'm sure she still is. Just doing her thing.
1: I can't remember what she was doing, but it was nothing very spectacular.
0: No. And I've heard that this documentary is, like, pretty biased and, like, for her. And, like, she's... What I've gathered, I haven't watched it because I haven't wanted to support... I think she's getting paid because she can get paid that's for it. That's what
1: I was going to say. Is she getting money? Yeah. Does yes. she get money for it?
0: Because mm. that's the only reason she well, that and to try to get people to like her more. And I don't think a lot of people are buying into her crap, but I've seen a couple people be like, oh, I think it's, I think the dad is a monster. It's like, and one girl I commented to her just like, oh, hey, there's this other documentary if you want to watch it. It's also on Peacock and it's like unbiased and done like correctly. I think it's called... Gosh, I can't remember the first part of the title, but the end is like the case of Kaylee Anthony, the daughter. And she was like, Well, I tend to believe victims, meaning Casey. And I was like, Well, I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, Well, yeah, me too, but not the dad. Not, the victim yeah, not Casey Anthony. Oh, I had another girl that listens to the podcast that's in Jacob's family texts me and she was like I am infuriated she's like I watched that for like 15 minutes and had to turn it off because I hate her so much
1: oh I don't I don't think I will watch it I don't I might not I'm curious but I don't really want to see her lies
0: I know and that's what most people have said like don't support it and then I just noticed like online today I was getting so f- like when she was like well I tend to believe victims I was like Are you defending Casey Anthony to me?
1: (laughs) She's a victim?
0: (laughs) She is not a victim. Anyway, if you think she is, I'm sorry. I just do not agree. I do not. Do not watch that documentary. There's another one on Peacock as well. Again, I can't remember the beginning, but the ending, the last half of the name is The Case of Kaylee Anthony. That will tell you the true story. But that is one of the most infuriating cases I think. I know.
1: I can't believe they didn't convict her. Of
0: su- Yeah. That's I've always said that's the one case. I don't need any other evidence except that she didn't call 911 for 30 days. That's the only thing I personally need to know she's mm-hmm. guilty.
1: There was a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. But you can't find your two-year-old for 30 days and you're not even the one who calls 911. You did it. I don't even need to hear anything else if my mom
1: said your car stinks
0: yeah like a dead body and she's a nurse Mm -hmm. if I if my two-year-old Willow was missing for five minutes I'd be on the phone with 911 (laughs) like I'd be so scared so yeah no I thought that was crazy I haven't watched it either but I was just shocked today When I saw that comment of that girl saying she tends to believe victims. Um, We do too. But Casey Anthony is not one. (laughs) So I
1: guess it all depends on who you think the victim is.
0: I know. Yeah. But that one, not a hard one for me. Anyway. So I had to say that before we jumped back into this. And we are getting into part two of the case of the serial killer couple Fred and Rose West. We ended part one after discussing the murders of Anne McFall, Charmaine West, and Rena Costello. And Anne was Fred and Rena's friend who ended up in a sexual relationship with Fred before he killed her while pregnant with his child. Rena was Fred's on and off again wife, and they shared the children, Charmaine and Anne Marie. Although Charmaine is Rena's oldest daughter with another man. So that's just a recap on the victims from part one. And I also noticed in part one I kept saying Anna. Ma- Anna Marie, but it's really just Anne Marie. Oh. I'm not sure why I kept saying Anna, but it's Anne Marie. Okay. (laughs) Now jumping back into this, by the time Anne, Charmaine, and Rena have been murdered, Fred and Rose had their first daughter together. Remember, we talked about the speculation that Heather might have been fathered by Rose's dad because of the rumors that Rose was sexually abused by her dad. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to also make another little correction from our last episode because you asked me if Rose ever denied that her father sexually abused her. And I said, I didn't think she denied it, but that they couldn't prove it. And I was wrong because Rose did actually deny that it was her father who abused her. So in May West's book, I was like halfway through when we did part one and then I finished it. So when I finished it, I learned that In that book, Love is Always Mom, she talks about how she grew older and then into her teenage years, her mother Rose would start to confide in her and talk to her a lot. It seems that May was the closest child to her mom and Rose told May that she was first sexually abused at the age of 12 and that she was raped by a stranger. However, May remembers her father, Fred, speaking on the fact that Rose was sexually abused by her dad, William, but Rose herself has always maintained that she was sexually abused by someone else. Oh, okay.
1: So not her dad.
0: So Rose says it's not her dad, yes, but May in her book says she still believes Rose's dad did sexually abuse her, and she believes this, like, due to... Fred's comments about William mixed with Rose's strange view on sexual relationships between father and child, as well as her view on sex in general. Rose even tells May once, you know what? If a man tries to do something with you, just let it happen. Don't fight back. It's just better to go with it and get it over with. So like she does, as you'll see, have this really skewed sense of sex. That's obviously not good advice for your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So all those things May was saying lead her to believe that she was sexually abused by her dad. But I don't know because Fred made these comments, but Fred's also a known pathological liar.
1: Yeah, it's cuz why would she l- well, I don't know. I was just thinking why would she lie to her daughter and tell her that her dad didn't do it or you know that she wasn't abused by her dad, but someone else.
0: Yeah, and has always maintained that it was a stranger. So I'm not really sure. That's just May's personal belief is it was her dad, but Rose has never said it was her dad. So I wanted to clarify on that. But as we start out here in part two, I want to start by talking about the children Rose and Fred raised. We'll first discuss how they are also victims of this heinous couple before looking into the murders they committed so today's episode is mostly going to be about the children and like their life and like the terrible environment they were in and just like fred and rose's home life and then in part three we'll finish out with all of the murders and what happens to them okay When we look into the life that their children lived and like the feelings they had about their parents, it really shows us that evil is not black and white because the children's feelings about their parents and their family are really complicated. It was interesting for me to read May's book specifically because, like I mentioned, she was the closest with her mom, Rose. And when the crimes come to light, it takes May over a decade to come to terms with the monster that her mom is. So for a decade, she wrote her mom, visited her mom in prison, and just was not convinced her mom was involved in the murders. And she uses a lot of those letters to write her book, like quoting what her mom would write her. And it's like over time, she comes to realize that her mom was just a manipulator and using her Mm, that's sad I know and even though she was a terrible parent and terribly abusive to May herself she always like felt this connection to her mom to people who aren't abused I I think that it's hard to realize like you're like oh they would hate their parents like they'd get older and hate them they'd become adults and cut themselves off from them but they don't So, May was really, like, raw and honest in her book, explaining the way she convinced herself that her mom had to be innocent, and I just thought it would be good to talk about the trauma bond created in children whose parents are, like, extremely abusive like that.
1: I've always wondered, too, like, if you would, if you had a parent that was a murderer, like, If you would be scared that
0: like that tendency ran in you. Yeah, like it was passed along, which one of the things, one of their sons, Stephen, which is Rose and Fred's third child together, their oldest son. Later on in his life, I read that he is convicted of sex with a minor, a young girl, and he was an adult. And he made a comment to the press that said, I have a little bit of my father in me. That would be, yeah. Yeah. So you all know child abuses like kill my heart and that I'm really passionate about these kids who are abused. Still to this day, child abuse is an epidemic. More than 1 billion, billion with a B, children every year are subjected to violence. And that's like a gut-wrenching statistic over 1 billion that's a ton of kids every year and then the sexual abuse against children it's rampant it doesn't matter where you live or how quaint your little town feels children are being sexually abused every single day in our world in our country in your state in your city in your neighborhood and many children are being abused right inside of their homes one in nine girls and one in 53 boys under the age of 18 experience sexual abuse so as you listen to how these children were raised and it makes you sick to your stomach, remember this is happening in the world still every day. And I just wanted to throw out that little reminder to like be diligent and be aware of like what's around you and what's around your kids because it usually starts within the home or like within the family. I know it really does make
1: me thankful for like my upbringing, even though I feel like You know, I had parents that got divorced and kind of had a hard childhood. I didn't go through anything like that. Right. And I'm thankful.
0: I feel lucky. Yeah, me too. Because it's like such a high statistic that it's like likely for little girls to go through stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And what's sad about child abuse victims is that although they are being treated terribly, like I said earlier, they still long for their parents' love and those innocent souls still love their abusers. It's the only life they know, and they don't even realize that feeling pain or fear every day is not normal. So May works through these feelings in her book, and it was really interesting to see how someone could have had two of the most terrible parents, yet still feel like she owed loyalty to her mom. So we know that while living in the flat on Midland Road where Charmaine was murdered, Rose and Fred had already had baby Heather. Now that Charmaine is gone, they just have Anne Marie and Heather. But by 1973, Rose gives birth to May June. Later on, May drops the June in her name. Um, And this is Rose's second oldest biological daughter. Fred and Rose had married the year before on January 29, 1972. Rose is 19 years old at that time and Fred is 30 years old. And there was no fancy wedding. The duo just popped into the register's office and applied for their marriage certificate. And when May is three months old, the family moves into the home where 21 years later, bodies are found. This is a much larger space than their flat on Midland Road. The home on 25 Cromwell Street is a three-story home that at first they're just renting. It seems like it ends up being a rent-to-own type situation because eventually Fred and Rose do purchase the home. Now Fred is a hard worker if you remember he had that instilled in him from farming at a young age but he isn't rich by any means so in order to afford the house he converts the rooms on the upper floor into bed sits which basically means he has rooms upstairs that he's renting out to people. Whether these lodgers are staying temporarily or renting a room long time they're paying Fred and Rose and this helps them afford the home. Fred doesn't want his lodgers on the ground floor where his family resides or in the garden and backyard. Those areas are reserved for his own family. So this is the home where Fred and Rose are not only raising their children, but it's also where they are murdering women and disposing of their bodies. By 1983, Rose has given birth to eight of her own children. She's 30 by this time and raising nine children. Nine because she also has her stepdaughter, Anne-Marie. The, and that's Fred's oldest biological child with Rena, who he murdered. And then there is Heather, then May, and then Steven, which I said is Rose's third child and the couple's first son. And these four are the children who were grown and moved out by 1992 when the kids are removed from Rose and Fred's care by social services. Heather was not moved out. She would have been at an age to be moved out, but we know she was found murdered. But those are the four that are okay. grown. By Rose. Yeah. Well, Charmaine was m- murdered by Rose. But Heather is the daughter that they found when I very first started the story. That that kind of starts them finding all the bodies. She's buried in the home they oh, live in. Yeah. 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 So really, Fred and Rose have two daughters they've taken care of. Even though Charmaine isn't either of their biological kid. It's like they had two children they cared for that end up murdered. It's a lot. But the kids who were, were removed are Tara, who was born in 1977, which isn't that the same year you were born, 1977? hmm Yep. So Tara is the same age as you. Okay. And then the other kids removed from the West home along with Tara were Rosemary Jr., Luciana, Louise, and Barry. Now, remember how I said the couple had these nine kids together, but that they might not all be Fred's biological children? Well, we know at least three of the eight children were not fathered by Fred West, Tara, Rosemary Jr., and Luciana. This is confirmed because of their skin color. These three are mixed race, clearly having a different father. But Fred takes all the children in as his own. He would explain their skin color by falsely claiming that his great grandma was black. And that's why they look half black, (laughs) which was not true. But... Fred didn't care that they were fathered by other men because he knew Rose was having sex with other men. The couple had converted one of their bedsit rooms into a room where Rose would work with clients. She was a sex worker. They install a bar inside the room with a four post bed frame and curtains on it and on the outside of the room there is a red light that Rose would turn on when she was not to be disturbed inside of the room. And the most alarming renovation to this room were the peepholes that Fred created. He was a voyeur and enjoyed watching his wife engage in sex with her clients. He even put a baby monitor in there so that he could listen if he was unable to sit there and watch. Oh my gosh. Through a hole in the wall. Wow. Yeah. Which I'm assuming these clients didn't know the peepholes were there. Yeah. (laughs) So... They're, like, being violated by not knowing this creepy dude is watching them have sex. (laughs) Um, And it's just, it's odd. They are, they are really, really odd. And I guess I'm not, I'm not saying that people, if they want to do that, are weird, I guess. Just, like, if they want to do that consensually with a bunch of people, I don't know. Whatever. It's not my place. But this couple's beyond anything that's like normal or consensual or like kinky like they are (laughs) far beyond that so as we talk about it just know they're too much now rose used the fake name mandy with her clients and named her workroom mandy's room rose wore a necklace that the key to this room hung on and she always had the key with her and her clients were directed to a separate entrance when coming over for a session. And on top of this sex work, Rose was involved in casual sex with most of their lodgers renting sits, both men and women. She loved letting everyone know that there was no man or woman who could completely satisfy her sexual needs. So as time goes on, she starts getting more brutal in her sex, chasing that gratification she longed for. Many of her past partners recall how she got off on suffocating them or inserting large sex toys into their body that would cause pain. Rose herself described getting pleasure through dominance, pain, and violence. I wonder how you become like that. Which obviously she was sexually abused as a child. Yeah. So I'm sure she experienced like dominance and violence in that. And I don't know if that just like stuck with her and she ran with it and took it to a whole nother level. But she knew what she was doing and maybe not when it was consensual, but in the things she does to her children and to the women they murder, like she knew what she was doing was wrong. So I don't know, but things do get passed on, which is always strange to think about like the generational type trauma. Mm-hmm. That like if something happens to you, you're likely to pass it on. And that's always been intriguing to me because it's like if you didn't like it, you would think you wouldn't want to pass it on. Yeah, like stop the But it's like hard to break those cycles. I don't know. Fred was not only a voyeur all the time. He was also often engaging in threesomes with Rose and other partners. Most of them recall how the West loved pushing women beyond their sexual limits. So... It sounds like although some of these encounters started out consensual, they turn non-consensual when this couple is really pushing them to do things they don't want to do. And then obviously later on when they murder, it becomes much worse. Hmm. Together, Fred and Rose owned a diverse and large collection of bondage devices which again, whatever, that's fine. You do you if it's consensual. But the alarming part of their sex collection is the overwhelming amount of magazines containing bestiality and child pornography. Now, you might wonder how Fred and Rose could have possibly kept their sex life a secret from nine children running around the house while they're engaging daily with clients and casual sex with lodgers. Well, They didn't hide it. May recalls how open sex was within their home. And it wasn't open in a good way. Like their parents aren't having sensitive conversations with them and being honest in hopes that their children would have a healthy view of sex as adults. They're definitely, this is not healthy at all. Their parents are grooming them may said it was so uncomfortable how sexually explicit fred and rose were in front of them not only would the children hear their parents having loud sex with each other as well as other people but fred would also straight up watch pornography in front of his children sometimes even forcing them to watch it with him like do you not have a conscience and they like would talk about it fred would tell them about like the crazy sex he had with their mom It's like so disturbing. So Fred has this fixation on incestuous sex, meaning sex with his own daughters. Like although him and Rose sexually torture women outside of their family, he doesn't have any interest in sexually abusing his daughters that were fathered by other men. May chalks this up to not only his motive of incest, but also to the fact that he was racist and those children were mixed race. So although he is shitty for being racist, those children are probably happy to have escaped his sexual advances. Fred always told his daughters that it's a father's job to take his daughter's virginity. And he told Mae that he had the right to see and experience what he had made, meaning he created this child so he has the right to have sex with them. Ew, he's so gross. I know. I know. Doesn't that give you like the heebie-jeebies? Yes. I died when I was reading what he would say to them. Like, no, I'm sorry. You don't have the right to experience what you made. You hardly did anything to make that child. So back off. Freaking sicko. I just don't understand
1: how people have this type of thinking. Like, do they, they don't feel right, right from wrong. It's... I don't know.
0: I Like, you don't have a conscience? Yeah. There are billions of people in this world. Go find somebody else besides your own kid. I will never understand that kind of behavior or that mentality. Well, and besides a child. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a billion adults in this world. It's just absolutely disgusting to think of that being said. It, like... Runs a chill through my whole body. If my dad ever said something like that to me. Hi, dad. You're probably listening. You know I would die. And I know you would never. That is disgusting.
1: (laughs) Like. Wait. So, he didn't do it
0: to the kids that weren't his biologically? Yes. He did not have interest in his kids that were not his biologically. Which, what I was saying was a little, like, it's strange because he still rapes and murders all these other women that, you know, he's not related to, but again, May says she thinks it has a lot to do also with him being racist. Huh. They were still sexually, I feel like, abused in the way of like having to see pornography and kind of like having to see what was going on. Yeah. I feel like that's still a form. Just in the environment. Yeah. Yeah but they, he wasn't directly coming on to them. So the girls know this is uncomfortable and that this isn't normal behavior for a parent. They're super grossed out by their dad when he puts a hand on their leg or gropes and molests them trying to pressure them into sex. But they still love their dad. They just found him strange. So they don't fight back much when he would come on to them, but they actively tried to avoid being assaulted by him. They made sure to never be alone, especially when they're in the bathroom or changing clothes. Fred could just barge right into the bathroom. So the older girls made a pact along with their brother, Stephen, that if one of the girls were in the bathroom, another sibling would stand outside the door, almost guarding the door to prevent Fred from entering. Then the ones that made this pact were Heather, May, and Stephen. So they were pretty close in age and they were just all protecting each other.
1: That's good. They had each other.
0: Yes. And May says that in her book. And like she says, it's a, the dy- dynamic in this family is very odd because they're clearly being abused and groomed by Fred. But May also says Fred was their more loving and kind parent she said they didn't have to fear him until they started to go through puberty like he always made disgusting comments about sex but his abuse starts later in their life more into their teenage years so he is like you know he's abusive with the things he says again the like sexual comments and the pornography and all of that but he doesn't start like physically assaulting them in a sexual way till they're older so they really didn't fear him like on a day-to-day they feared almost like getting to puberty and having like knowing they were going to have to have sex with their dad Ugh, yeah which is such a sad thought for them and just like that they had to live with that fear of like getting older and then rose on the other hand was a violent parent She wasn't actively molesting her children or having sex with her children like Fred was, but she was complicit in it and she did know what was happening. She told her girls that it's a father's job to take his daughter's virginity and that it's just what happens and that people don't talk about it. Oh my goodness. That is playing a role to me to just know what's happening and not do anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. What's crazy is in her book, May describes her mom as a very nurturing and loving mom to her babies. Like she said, Rose loved having a baby. Like she was a great mom to all the little babies, but it's about the time they start reaching like five, six, seven years old that she turns violent. It was weird for May to see how much her mom doted on the babies and then would turn around and physically assault them as they grew older. She had this temper that made everyone's heart stop when she would fly off the handle. Even Fred would tell Rose to back off of the kids. Between 1972 and 1992, the West had admitted their children to the casualty units of the local hospitals 31 times. Yet, they are never reported.
1: Holy cow! To the hospital? Yeah. For injuries.
0: For injuries.
1: Oh, my gosh. Why didn't that <laughs> that hospital I miss know. the
0: boat on that one? They just deemed these things as an accident. Like, Fred and Rose would come in and be like, oh, my gosh, my kid got hurt. It was an accident. And they'd just be like, yeah, okay.
1: Again. And then
0: that's <laughs> again it. Again and again. I know. Literally, our system failed then. I mean, and this is over in Britain, but, like, systems are just... <laughs> Failing everywhere. Failing kids everywhere. It was happening then. It's happening now.
1: I wonder if they were like, oh, oh, they have nine kids. Of course, there's going to be all kinds of accidents.
0: All these kids (laughs) running around roughhousing. Really, you know, they're in this horrific home. Yeah. But Mae describes oftentimes feeling like a normal family. Fred and Rose had instilled a strong sense of family into their kids. And what's sad is that because of this, the West children felt devotion and loyalty to their family, and like they were responsible for keeping the family together by keeping the horrors of their home quiet. They didn't want to be separated from their parents and siblings, regardless of the abuse. And this is why Fred and Rose put this family loyalty into their heads. They didn't actually care about their children. They wanted power over their children and for them to hide the secrets of abuse inside the West's home. And it worked. They manipulated their children so deeply that it took May many years to break free of the connection to her mom. Here are some of the instances that of abuse that May remembers. Once, Stephen was mopping the kitchen floor with a cloth and he has this bowl of water. Rose comes in and she accidentally steps into the bowl of water. So Rose starts hitting Stephen in the head and she's kicking him. She's kicking him in the chest and she's shouting at him that he did it on purpose. He made Rose step in that bowl of water and she's calling him a little swine. She's just like a mean person. There was an incident where May recalls Rose strangling Stephen so badly that all the kids and Fred are panicking. After this, Stephen has red blotches all over his face. It's petechiae. Little spots of bleeding under the skin. It's
1: petechiae.
0: Oh, is that what I was going to ask after I said it, if that's how I say it? (laughs) Yeah. People get really upset if you say things wrong, which I do all the time. So Um, And these are little spots of bleeding under the skin. When you're strangled, the blood vessels in the skin will rupture. Steven was lucky to be alive after this incident. There's this other time when Rose is pissed about this missing utensil. So she grabs a knife that she had been using in the kitchen and she goes over to May. May, whose book I wrote, the one I said is the closest with her mom. May's little... Whose book you wrote? uh, Did I say wrote? Whose book I read. (laughs) I wrote May's book for her. (laughs) Uh. No. Whose book I read. Actually, technically listened to on Audible. So this is the kid that is the closest to Rose. Well, this one time, this utensil's missing. May is in the kitchen. Rose grabs this knife, goes over to May, and she starts slashing at May's chest with it. And she's making all these little, like, superficial wounds on May's chest. May is screaming, like, no, mom, please, no. And Stephen and Heather are standing in the kitchen. They're sobbing, unable to do anything about it. And this is the kid that believes Rose was... Well, not believes. Had believed for all those years Rose was innocent. Oh. Like, the fact that her mom had that hold over her. Yeah. Ugh. So, there's this other time in August of 1974 where Rose starts chasing Fred with a knife. So, as she's chasing him through the house, Fred ends up slamming the door shut. And she, like, goes to stab him. And the knife goes into the door. Well... Oftentimes, I don't think people realize when you stab things, like your hand will slip from the grip down to the knife. So her hand slips and three of her fingers were cut, almost severed. So she wraps her hand up and she tells him that like he needs to take her to the hospital and look what he's done. Which it's like, well, you were the one chasing him with a knife. So, I mean, they're both horrible people, so (laughs) I don't take either of their sides. As far as Anne-Marie's abuse, she seems to have suffered like really horrifically at the hands of Fred and Rose. And May doesn't learn about the intensity of her abuse until Anne-Marie testifies in Rose's trial later on. Today, these two don't speak. Ever since the murders came out, they have been, um, what's that word? Estranged? Yes. They just weren't on the same page during the trial and after everything happened. May said they probably would never be able to reconnect just due to the damage that their parents have put upon them. Anne-Marie had always felt more connected to Fred while May was more connected to Rose. And I mean, to Anne-Marie, Rose was just an evil stepmother, even though Fred was also evil in his own right that was her real parent I think at that time May was on Rose's side she was actually going to testify at her mom's trial but the defense attorneys decided not to when they found out she had done an interview with a newspaper where she explained the abuse that they grew up with and so they didn't want to put her on the stand because that would make Rose look bad even though May would have been testifying in Rose's defense so I think they were just too far on each side, which is sad because it's like no one needed to be on anyone's side, but their parents like had this hold over them. Yeah. So technically they were like step siblings? Technically they were ha- or half siblings.
1: Yeah, uh, okay. Because they had the same Because they dad. share
0: Fred as the dad. Okay. Mae does feel for Anne-Marie, especially when she heard of all the abuse she went through. So... Anne-Marie testifies at the trial later on that when she's only eight years old, Rose directs her down to the cellar. Mm. Rose tells Anne-Marie to start taking her clothes off, but she doesn't want to. She starts crying and resisting. She's only eight, so she can't comprehend what's about to happen to her, but she knows this isn't okay. And because she is reluctant to get naked in front of her dad and her stepmom, Rose grabs her clothes, ripping them off herself, telling her that she's going too slow. From here, Rose encourages Fred to rape Anne-Marie while she watches. They bound her to a mattress, and they gag her while the rape takes place. Afterwards, Rose tells the little girl not to worry about what just happened, because it's only a father's job, and that if she tells anyone, she will suffer a beating at the hands of Rose. Disgusting. It gives you insight into, like, how involved Rose was, at least with her own children. Let alone the murder. She never admits, but it's like if you're doing this to your own stepdaughter, I think you were involved with the strangers that you murdered. Anne Marie would suffer sexual abuse at the hands of Fred and Rose for the rest of her life inside the home. She can only escape the assaults when she moves out. Well, really, when she runs away from the home. On top of this, Anne-Marie was forced into sex work alongside Rose to make money for her parents. She's only 13 years old when she is sex trafficked by her own parents. It's insane. I can't believe there wasn't any, like, neighbors or anything that, like,
1: noticed anything weird going on.
0: Yeah. Well, like, parents at their schools and stuff, people were noticing that they're really weird. You know, people thought they were strange. People heard rumors about Rose doing this sex work. Some of the kids would confirm, like, yeah, my mom is doing that. And so people thought they were weird, but I don't think anyone can, like, imagine that it was this bad. Let alone when you hear about all the murders, like, it was just beyond comprehension for people. Like, I think they were just like, those parents are creepy. But... It definitely, unfortunately, should have been reported much earlier. So these kids didn't Mm. have to live through this. And I just think of like, so Charmaine goes missing, your child that you're raising. Then her mom goes missing. And the girl who was living with you before those two go missing. Like, it's just crazy that no one's connecting all of these things along the way. So like I said, Anne-Marie seems to have it pretty bad. I can assume that Rose more actively enjoyed putting her through the sadistic sexual torture because she was not her own child. She wasn't involved in the assault on her biological daughters, although she did know about them and witnessed the molesting. And she also would check them, like some of her biological daughters, after they are raped by Fred, she would check her daughter's. To ensure they were no longer a virgin. Well, why would she have to check him?
1: She probably
0: knew if she watched. Makes no sense, but she's still involved in all of his sexual abuse on the kids. So Fred ends up making this device consisting of a dildo encased in metal material that he and Rose would assault Anne Marie with. Ultimately, Fred concocts this belt that he instructs Anne-Marie to wear while wearing a mini skirt and cleaning the home. This belt has a dildo that was inserted into Anne-Marie while she wore it. She recalls Rose mocking her and laughing at her, taking pleasure in her pain and embarrassment. So they like had this pretty much sexual torture device that they would force Anne-Marie to wear throughout the day. weird... They definitely, like, focused a lot of their abuse sexually on her, with her being the oldest and probably being Rena's child. Oh. And I didn't read her book. She has a book called Out of the Shadows by Anne-Marie West, but I couldn't, like, find it on Audible, which is where I normally have it, so... All of the children in this home were physically abused, and those that weren't sexually abused were definitely still sexually groomed and traumatized, like I said, by the porn they are forced to watch or the bondage toys they would find around the home. There were some random times where different kids would run away, but often they would come back with nowhere to go. Anne-Marie and Steven had once left together, but returned after weeks of sleeping on the streets or bouncing house to house. They were severely punished when they returned. But by 1979, Anne-Marie desperately needs out of the house. She had recently been admitted to the hospital for an ectopic pregnancy. And this is when a fertilized egg implants outside of the uterus. And it's extremely dangerous. Isn't it? Yeah, it's painful. It is? Yeah. I've just heard it can be dangerous. I have no idea. Well,
1: it's usually like in your fallopian tube, so.
0: Like you have to get it treated, right?
1: Um. I think most of the time it just, like, bursts or doesn't survive. Um,
0: Anne-Marie actually does go to the hospital, and she gets treatment, and then she comes home. Upon her arrival, Rose beats her severely. The main point of damage was to Anne-Marie's stomach. So it's finally time for Anne-Marie to get out of here. When she leaves the home, she warns May about their father and tries to tell her that she needs to watch out for his sexual advances. But May tells her that she already knows. He had tried to come on to her already, but she was usually able to joke about his advances and shut them down without being completely obvious that she was appalled. So in her book, she said like her dad would like touch her leg or like try to get her to have sex, but she'd usually like make a joke and like stand up and walk away. However, May did not go unscathed. When she was only five years old, Fred's brother John visited the West home. Remember, John is the brother that would go with Fred to those youth groups when they were teens. Yeah. The boys were, like, menacing and, like, groping girls without their per- permission. Just being, like, little <coughs> creeps. So... He comes to visit when May is five, and it's during this visit that the Wes allowed John to babysit the children. May was then raped by her uncle John. And later in life, after Fred and Rose's arrest, John is charged with sexual assaults, and May testifies in the trial, recounting her traumatic experience with him. And it seems that once Anne-Marie left the home, the next oldest child was targeted with the abuse. This was Heather West. We know her body is found buried in the backyard of the home on 25 Cromwell Street. Heather was raped by her father and abused by her mother. Fred would say things to her like, quote, I made you. I can do what I like with you. Oh, again, disgusting. Cannot stand his comments. Oh. And he would also tell Heather and May that his intentions were to get both of them pregnant. That's so sad. He is just super, super weird. Yeah, for sure. It was Heather, May, and Steven, like I said earlier, that formed that pact to protect each other inside the home. May says that although their home was filled with torment and pain, they also shared a lot of love and laughs within the home. At least between the siblings. All the siblings were close and they were each other's protectors. Heather was not able to cope with Fred's sexual advances the way that May was. They started to affect her deeply. By 1985 or 1986, it's suspected that Heather is forced into a sexual relationship with Fred. Heather was showing alarming symptoms. She's biting her nails so badly that they're bleeding. She starts drinking alcohol regularly. She's waking up from night terrors. Heather was often crying alone in her bed. She watched Fred like a hawk, following him with her eyes whenever he was around. She had this nervous energy whenever she was around men, and it got so bad that Heather would often become disassociated and start rocking back and forth on the couch. This always worried May, who would ask Heather if she was okay, snapping Heather back into reality. Fred and Rose didn't take kindly to the behavior, though. They would make fun of her. They would tell her she's an ugly B-I-T-C-H. So she's suffering from probably PTSD and she's like showing a lot of outward symptoms and they're just like taunting her all the time. That's so sad. I know. It's so sad. And Heather's dream was to live a nomadic lifestyle in the forest of Dean. She couldn't wait to get out of the house of horrors. I can't remember if May found these letters written in a journal or carved in the wall in the cellar. I, I just remember her talking about it in the book, but I couldn't remember where Heather wrote these letters. But May found that she wrote the letters F O D I W L, meaning Forest of Dean, I will live. So this was her motivation to stay alive. Ah. I will live. Like she had this determination to live and be free from the home. But Heather never makes it.
1: So she wanted, she was hoping to live in the
0: forest. The forest of Dean is a geographical, historical, and cultural region in the western part of the country. It looks really pretty. So yeah, she did want to just be out living this nomadic lifestyle. But she told May that it was because she never wanted to see another human again. Like, she just wanted to be in the forest by herself. Oh, my gosh. I know. So she was, like, very, very affected by all of this. Yeah. Heather was born on October 17th of 1979 and was 16 years old when she was murdered. At the time of her disappearance, May remembers things being very tense inside of the home. Heather had taken a pornography magazine to school, and Anne-Marie had told Fred and Rose about it. They didn't take kindly to this, and they retaliated with Heather. May said they were treating her horribly the week she goes missing. The school Heather attended, have no idea how to say this, going to do my best, Hucklecote. It is Hucklecote Secondary School. They had noticed some odd behavior. They described Heather as a very obedient student. But every time she was supposed to dress down for PE class or shower afterwards, she refused to dress down at all or change her clothes. So one day she is forced to dress down for a shower after PE and she has to go, you know, do this shower with everyone, which I was like, I mean... You shouldn't force them to shower with everybody if they don't want to. But, you know, it's just like a school locker room type thing. Do they even make kids do that nowadays? I don't think so. Like, we had showers in our locker room even when I was in high school and middle school. But no one had to shower. And pretty much no one did in front of each other. Maybe the boys did more. I don't remember having to shower
1: but I do remember having to change my clothes yeah, in front of
0: everybody. And we did too. We did have to change our clothes in the locker room, which is actually really weird for me to think about. Like, I mean, it's not weird, I guess, because you're, I don't know. I
1: know. Do they make them now? I should ask Cassie. I mean, she does have to change into her cheer clothes to practice. I think they do. Yeah.
0: Which like when I think of my kid, I'm like, well, I don't really want my kid having to change in front of everybody at the locker room. But I'm sure there are probably stalls they can go into. Oh, yeah. If they're not comfortable. That's true. Because I think we had that. Yeah, we had that too. I think I never really cared. But same. I think I just changed. just remember just changing. Same. Basically, she is forced to shower, which I do think is a little excessive to go shower. I was like, I would be kind of pissed if I had, was forced to go shower with mm-hmm. everybody. A little too much, but it, I'm assuming that was probably just normal. Yeah, back, back then. Back then. Mm-hmm. When she's forced to do this, everyone, peers and staff, see that she is covered in welts and bruises. They're across her entire torso, and they're all at various stages of healing. Like, they're alarmed at what they're seeing. Mm. But nothing really happens. And by 1986, Heather has left school and she's applying for jobs now. She is so hopeful because one of these jobs is supposed to be at a holiday camp where she could be away from her home for an extended period of time, which a holiday over in England and stuff means like vacation type, right? So this is like a camp probably. I'm assuming that kids go to or something where they're there for like a couple weeks or maybe she'd work there the whole summer. Yeah. It's, you know, away from her home is what matters to her. She was like under the impression she could have the job, but just days before she's set to leave, the company informs her that they actually won't be hiring her for this holiday camp. And her dreams are crushed. That night, the entire family can hear Heather's cries echo through the house as she tries to fall asleep. She was like sobbing after this because I think it really felt like an escape to her, and when she's told she can't go anymore, it's almost like she knew it would not be good for her. And it's just after this, on June 19th, 1986, when her siblings see Heather for the last time. She's rocking back and forth on the couch as they all leave for school, and when they return, Fred and Rose tell them that Heather did in fact go to the holiday camp for work. But time goes on and Heather never contacts her siblings. They grow concerned, asking why Heather would leave without saying goodbye and why she wasn't coming back or getting in touch. This is when the stories of Heather running off with a lesbian lover emerge from Fred and Rose. Remember in part one, they're making up all these stories about that to the police in 1994 who come looking for her. Oh, yeah. So in reality, it's speculated that during a struggle to rape Heather, she finally resists and Fred strangles her to death. I'm not sure how involved Rose was in Heather's death, but in May's book, she recalls her mom being distraught that day Heather goes missing. She said her mom spent weeks crying in bed. And she says, quote, It's hard for me to believe that my mom didn't love Heather. But she questions herself later in life when she realizes just how involved Rose was with the serial murders. And how could a mom who's so distraught that her daughter's gone also keep the secret that she's buried in the backyard? But I did find that interesting that May specifically remembers her mom crying all the Mm -hmm. time. It makes me wonder that almost the murder maybe was accidental, not in the way I don't know how to explain it what I mean because I don't mean like completely like an accident but like they I don't think they planned to murder Heather it just like got out of hand yeah he maybe did it in the moment which makes it no better to me like you are a monster to me if you kill your own child you know they had already killed people by this point and had these secrets so I don't know if rose is really sad to find out that heather was killed even though she was literally a horrible person to heather um but i mean it's her oldest biological child yeah so it's weird to see how like she was upset but she also was like really callous about it and hid it and was just not a good mom to her anyway yeah so as time had gone on may and steven suggested reporting heather's disappearance to the police but this is when fred changes his story saying that it would be really unwise to report her disappearance because heather was involved in credit card fraud so he's telling his kids like no she's gone like if we report her and they find her she'll get in trouble and the thing is i think it's easy for people to be like how did these kids not know Like what was going on in their home or like that their parents were lying. According to May's book, it seems that they often question their parents, but she said they could have never expected. Like she would have never thought they killed her. Mm. They would sometimes question things, especially like one time when Fred says to Steven and May, like, what's the worst thing you could imagine me doing? And they're like, we don't know. And we like don't really want to talk about this. And he's like, just imagine the worst thing you could think of me doing. And then he like gives it a moment and then he tells them, because I've done it. Oh my gosh. May said she just didn't want to think about it at all. Steven had asked a couple of questions, but Fred, you know, doesn't really answer them. And then when he leaves, she said he, her and Steven did talk about it. And they asked each other, like, what does he mean? Does he mean he's murdered someone? And May said she told Steven even back then. I don't know. I don't want to even think about it. Yeah. Because they knew he was a bad guy, but they didn't want to think that their dad could murder someone. Again, they were terrible parents, but their kids in some way still loved them. Yeah. So there were also multiple times where Fred and Rose convinced someone, don't know who it is, but like a random girl to make fake phone calls from Heather to appease their children that she was out there. Ultimately, Fred makes a barbecue pit opposite of where Heather is buried, and she's buried under the patio. He puts a table on top of this patio above her grave, and the kids and family would sit there when they had family gatherings outside. So they're literally sitting on top of their Ugh. yeah child's grave. And remember from part one, Fred starts to say things like threatening them, like, if you don't listen to me, you'll end up like Heather under the patio. So he's not necessarily being extremely secret about it but they don't think he they just think it's a threat. Oh yeah. So when May goes to leave the home later in life she she had had a boyfriend and all of this stuff which when they had boyfriends their parents would actively encourage them to have sex with their boyfriends. Again just more grooming and stuff with the sex like they wanted them to be in sexual relationships and they would make really weird comments like fred busted in on may just hanging out with her boyfriend in her room she said they were not having sex nor had they had sex by that point point. and fred made some comments about them having sex and then asked may's boyfriend he said to him like she's got nice breasts like doesn't she Oh, my and God. And May was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Please get out of here. Like, like red flag for the boyfriend. Yeah. And she said her boyfriend was, like, very nice to her about, like, her odd parents. Ugh. Going back to the very beginning, we started the story with the kids getting taken from the West's home, right? They get removed by social services. All of this happens in 1992 because Louise which is I think the second to youngest child, Louise ends up telling a friend that she had been raped by Fred. while well, this friend tells her mom who calls the police. This is why they're ultimately taken because Louise was sexually assaulted by her dad. And it's Louise who says her mom checked her. Mm. So Louise says she was raped by Fred a few times. First, He, you know, rapes her saying his typical thing that this is what dads do. Dads take your virginity. Oh, And then the second time that Fred rapes Louise, he tells her he has to do it again because he didn't do it right the first time. It happens like that second time, I think a third time as well. And then he... Tells her that she needs to, you know, this is when she he tells her that she needs to be checked by Rose to make sure she is no longer a virgin. And that Fred did, in fact, take his daughter's virginity. Ugh. So she tells this friend, which later on, May writes in her book that as adults, they start talking about it, you know, when all this murder stuff comes out. And again, just this like guilt and shame that goes into being like a child of abuse, Louise tells her that she felt very guilty for getting the other, like all her siblings removed from the home. She thought it was her fault. She broke up the family and May tells her like, it's not your fault. None of what happened is your fault at all. But she said she felt really bad because the other kids had to get taken out of their home and that she didn't even mean to do that. She said she told a friend Yeah. and that the friend is the reason. And she like really felt this extreme guilt about it. And they all kind of felt like they were the reason for their abuse. So this rape of Louise mm-hmm. coming to the surface is what prompts police to come to the home in 1992 and remove the kids. And then they find Heather. So during all these years, they are murdering other women lodgers in their home like different girls that would come stay in their home or girls they would talk into nannying so it all starts out with a sexual assault of a girl named Caroline Owens which that's what we will start with in part three and then we'll get into all the murders and finish out the case in part three but Caroline Owens survived this or deal with them and that's what leads them to start murdering because they do go to trial for this rape and torture of Caroline Owens and when they're able to get away with it Oh they decide they're never going to let another victim oh, live.
1: They are messed up. So how did they I mean I guess you'll get into it. I just didn't know from like having Going and taking the kids from the home, how they found
0: Heather. Oh, so, you know, they go and take the kids in 1992. And I said that the kids had made some comments about Heather being under the patio in part one, which did prompt some calls. But... police were already looking into it like they did make those comments and that is a piece of it but really they take the kids and then they actually are just trying to make contact with all of the kids to investigate the family you know to see like were you abused like the other kids that are adults now to see if these younger kids should remain not in Fred and Rose's care and then they keep asking like where's Heather and they kept giving these answers but the police could never track her down and then along with the comment of like her being under the patio had a suspicion yeah Yeah. and one Mm -hmm. other thing about the kids being taken I didn't write this down but that made me think of it for some reason May in her book said that It was really shocking to her when the kids were taken. Like, of course, Rose was like, I don't know why they're taken. Like, she said it was all like fake and fabricated. And like, Fred was being like going to be tried for this rape of his daughter. He doesn't end up being tried because none of the kids will testify against him. So he doesn't end up being tried, but social services still decides that whether the charges were dropped or not, that the kids are in danger around him. May said they were very upset. They wanted the kids back, blah, blah, blah. But when they couldn't get the kids back, it was almost like she saw that they didn't want the kids back because they love the kids, but more because they wanted the power over their kids. Obviously, I'm sure they were scared of their kids talking more, not under their control. And so once they were told that they were not going to get their kids back no matter what. They decided to stop all contact because when you have your kids taken, you can still like have visits and stuff. But Fred and Rose decided, like if I think Fred said, if we have no control over them, we don't need them at all. And Rose threw out all the kids stuff and she asked her older kids, because at this point, May is like an adult. She asked them to stop contact with the other kids and not visit them and stuff and basically cut them off. They weren't a part of the family anymore. Oh, wow. Hmm. yeah so that's not surprising they're just it's not surprising mm-hmm. to me at all to may she was like why would you cut them off like you're so upset that they got taken from you like yeah we can't cut them off but she just didn't grasp how evil her parents were back then Ugh. so yeah all next right. next episode we'll finish it out sounds and good and yeah these people are terrible If you listen to this show I think you're the coolest and I really appreciate the listen the share and just having you talk about my podcast being your favorite what you do that you tell all your friends thank you I am your host, Kayla Waters. I also research, write, and edit this show. Our, my co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palette cleanser is Charlie Waters, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz. Make sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and email us with case suggestions or if you just want to chat. Truecrimeexposed at gmail.com.
1: Hi, I'm Charlie Waters. Today we're going to be talking about ice cream advice. Just kidding, we're doing a palate cleanser on life advice.
0: Here's advice from my brain. Did you know that you don't have to be pretty but it matters what you feel like? Can you want to do? It doesn't matter how we look, it just matters
1: how nice we are to people and how kind we are. You just have to have a good heart and stick up for others.
0: Thanks for taking my advice. Bye. The organization I'm highlighting with this case is the Rape Crisis Center in Gloucester, England. Make sure to call their helpline at four four one four five two five two six seven seven zero. 5252 6770 Again, if you need help or if you know of someone in need, please call them at four four one four five two five two six seven seven zero. 26770